0: Oh, Andrea Tessman.
1: Yes, Kurt Buckner.
0: Do you want to put on some pastels and go hunt drug lords with me?
1: Absolutely. I'm down for a linen suit.
0: Oh, this was so much fun. The Miami Vice theme. What a beautiful one that you chose. I was so much enjoying <laughs> looking back at Miami Vice and then remembering a couple things. I think I've watched every episode when I was a kid when it first ran but I don't remember any damn episodes I remember nothing <laughs> in terms of plot I mean I kind of remember the guest stars but I couldn't really tell you much and I still can't so I
1: never really watched it it was it was before my my appropriate age of viewing such television mm-hmm. um but I gotta say I watched a few episodes of it this week, and I might watch a few more. It's like seriously fun, mm-hmm. even if it's a bit misogynistic.
0: Well, it's a lot misogynistic. Uh, I didn't. I watched oh, yeah. what they had on YouTube. I guess they had, they just show clips of it. So I watched sort of clips like of three minute bursts of, I guess their the favorite scenes thereof. And I could have done more of a deep dive, but this other project I'm working on is taking a little bit of my time, which I'll be promoting. Soon But we should look We should just paint this picture It was November 9th 1985 And everyone was watching Miami Vice The hit show It changed how you dressed It changed how you looked No TV show Ever looked like this before Or even close I mean there might have been shows I was shocked Yeah, Go ahead
1: I was shocked to find out, not shocked, but there were actually, like, men's departments in department stores that had, like, a Miami Vice section. hmm Yes. Like, it really was that influential. It was the first show that really encouraged people to stay home and watch the new episode on a Friday night.
0: Well, and they, well they could still go out, and usually, if you're not, stuff happens later at 11 or 12, but... Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting thing. Oh, I should also paint more of a picture. Rocky IV was the top movie, by the way. So if this isn't the most 80s point of all, it, it, it just sort of <laughs> sums everything up perfectly.
1: Ah, uh, Rocky Horror.
0: No, not Rocky Horror. Rocky IV. <laughs>
1: Rocky IV. That makes more sense.
0: Yeah, Rocky Four, Rocky IV, where uh, you know Rocky fights uh, Ivan Drago. Both of whom are in the Fictitious Athlete Hall of Fame, owned by yours truly. Check it out if you haven't already. Shameless plug. That's what I do. Absolutely, and so you should. Thank you. I think I, I, I'm proud of these little goofy creations I've come up with. But Jan Hammer, I knew virtually nothing about the guy. I knew the name, of course. Uh, but the 80s were my decade in terms of just like absorbing as much musical information as I could. But what I didn't know is just the past of this guy uh, with a group that I've listened to a lot actually in the last couple of years, but never looked at actually who the members were, the Mahavishnu Orchestra in the early 70s.
1: Yeah, I hadn't actually really heard anything of them, but I'd listened to a little bit this week and I was like, oh, that's uh, kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, some just brilliant, brilliant jazz fusion and uh, Hammer was uh, the, key, the keyboardist. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I assume that I am.
1: That's how I was pronouncing it in my head, so we'll, we'll go with that. You, you and Sorry, I are both German-Canadians,
0: so <laughs> it's something that we would sort of try to Germanize it. Is that a word? Germanize? Deutschize?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whatever. Sure. works. So we went with, so, but yeah, he's from Prague, uh, came after the, the occupation of the Soviet Union into uh, Czechoslovakia, so him and his family uh, made it out of there, but he was already essentially a prodigy. So for him, getting into music at that level was really impressive. He had a few solo albums already leading up to this, uh, like a lot of other jazz Uh uh, musicians. You know, his own group, where he's sort of like putting putting forth his own vision. And yeah, so when Miami Vice, uh, I guess the producers came to him, he was already a very well-established musician. So just another one of these musicians that we're talking about who probably never expected to have a number one hit, probably never tried. was just happy. Look, Hey, I'm making, I'm making a living doing music. I'm working with some of the greats in the world. He was already working with Clapton. Uh, later on, he'd work with Jeff Beck. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, what, he had, he, I found he, it really interesting. N- he, he had enough clout that when they went to him, he's like, Oh, you know what? Here, I've got some bits and pieces that would probably work. And they said, "Okay, great, run with it." And they literally gave him no feedback or direction, and they just let him do whatever the heck he wanted.
0: You got to figure that if you're a keyboardist, and the musical changes are going now towards this synth pop, uh, new wave sound, this this just had to be uh, like a dream for him. This this whole era.
1: Well I read an uh, interview and they were asking him about about the synthesizer and about his his you know reason for going that route with his music and he said well he already he already was more than comfortable with the piano because he started playing piano when he was like four mm-hmm. um, and but he always was frustrated with the fact that you can't there's not a lot of nuance in the piano you can't bend and slide notes and you can't Mm. You can't manipulate the tone with the piano the way you can with a guitar or a a violin or um, most string instruments. So he was kind of coming into his own at the stage that synthesizers were were becoming popular, and um, this just seemed like the perfect instrument for him because he could actually play the keyboard but then manipulate the sound like a string instrument. And he was actually one of the... First to perform with a mini Moog, which is interesting, because it was the first kind of stage-sized synthesizer that wasn't a massive half a room with all sorts of cables and buttons. It still had a lot of buttons. What, what do they
0: call it? I should know this. Or they could just call it a keytar.
1: Oh, he plays a guitar in Yeah, the video. You watch the official oh, music yes. video where he's in front of the, the screen and uh and they're chasing him. Oh yeah,
0: we gotta get with to his that beautiful okay. Oh my god. I'm, I'm gonna but say the a tar in that. I, I'm gonna say this. Uh I don't care who you are, I don't care how cool like Sean Connery at his at his apex of whatever which was like a 30 year 40 year maybe run of just working Sean Connery you don't fuck with him if Sean Connery's playing a keytar you you could fuck with him (laughs) there's just something about that instrument that no there's nothing remotely cool about it I don't care who you are you might as well be doing the Carlton dance it's
1: the 80's man keytar's cool
0: even, even the... one with
1: the flying the electric guitar.
0: Yeah, that's another one I never quite understood. Why would you shape it like... Well, whatever. That video, I guess we had to get to that. That So imagine... And this is what I was trying to find, and I really couldn't. Maybe you did. So the, Miami Vice was already out for a year. So when this song got, I guess, officially released, it was part of a soundtrack, and there was like three official soundtracks from the TV show featuring such wonderful hits that I guess we'll get to. Uh, cuz I, I think that's the other thing. If you were a mid thir- mid to late 30s uh, white musician who was somewhat famous, chances are Miami Vice was going to cast you as some drug guy or someone or a mule or somebody who knew the drug guys like Glenn Fry, Phil Collins, lovely mullet of the 80s. I just oh, like yeah. those balding mullets.
1: It was it was the equivalent of like getting on the Simpsons these days. Like, anybody who was anybody wanted to be cast in a bit part on it. And they were also throwing their music at Miami Vice as to, to have... So, it was... The whole setup of the show was very different in the sense that, as you said, nothing looked like it, but also nothing sounded like it. Mm-hmm. In, in an episode, they would have around 30 minutes of actual music. Um, and it was all... Like, it was it was pop songs that they had had paid for, and then it was all um, put together with... Uh, okay. that Jan Hammer did, like, he would intro and outro, but then he'd also sometimes just do, do something totally different, and he'd weave it all together, and there's almost a constant soundtrack going on, which there wasn't before that. That's Nowadays, gonna... you think about it, and you watch uh, Miami... Miami uh, Vice, you watch... Um, any of the cop shows or any show really and there's there is a it's more like a movie there's a constant soundscape in the background and um so he was literally composing like 20 to 30 minutes of music every single week for the show
0: and he he won some Emmys for it Uh, also Grammys for Best Instrumental
1: oh so But you were asking, you were saying you couldn't quite figure out what, how it ended up being a hit a year after the show came out? Well, no,
0: no, not that. It's, uh, what I couldn't find is how they, uh, but again, you you answered a bit of that, like how they sort of approached him. What I couldn't really find is how they sort of decided to make, to release this as a three minute instrumental, which, I mean, I guess you might as well when you've got something this big a hit, like, okay, we'll just put it out and see what happens
1: I think what I gathered was so they were up for a bunch of um, Emmys which they only won one Um, but literally it was just on the eve basically of releasing this album compilation Mm -hmm. and I think they realized because they had all of these big name pop stars that they'd licensed music for and then they had this hugely popular theme song and then he did other instrumental music throughout the show that they released as as singles as, or not as singles but on this album as well i think they just went what the fuck let's just release this it's mm-hmm. uh it's popular we'll get a bit of music and then they ended up winning grammys for it on
0: the miami vice original soundtrack the first one of course Leon Hummer. Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Fry. Shaka Khan on the night. Glenn Fry, You Belong to the City. In the air tonight, Phil Collins. And Better Be Good to Me, Tina Turner, among some of the ones that were on this. Glenn Fry, uh-huh. Jesus. You know, Glenn Fry, like right before he died, or not before he died, but one of his last albums, he was, he was clearly about being middle aged. Did a whole video about how he's living right and eating right and doing exercises on a video. It was just like, Jesus. You know, like, I, I know I'm getting old, but I'm not exactly going to like do, sing a song about my prostate. Like, what the hell was he thinking? <laughs> Jesus, <Jeez>, just <laughs> horrible. Like, why do that? That's That's just me. Something you asked before about instrumentals last week when you decided that. I I dug up all the instrumentals that went number one. So you were kind of right. This was the last song to go, last instrumental to go number one since uh, something just from 2013, the Harlem Shake. I didn't even realize I went number one. I don't think we'll ever do that one. Let's not do that one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that one might be interesting to do Just from the perspective of how it became An um, internet phenomena That might be But like, but I don't think we'll do it Because it's not good no. I, I honestly did not realize it went to number one I did probably only because of the internet But I only knew it From all those stupid videos
0: Yeah, those are so some of these Number one instrumentals here I'm segueing, I'm but that's what we do the Happy Organ by Dave Baby Cortez. The Happy Organ, don't like that. That just writes itself. The jokes, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> One of the greatest instrumentals uh, yeah. ever. Sleepwalk, Santo and Johnny. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, not, that's it. Although I've, I've been working on my uh, Lieutenant Castillo impression. Want to hear it? Okay, so Lieutenant Castillo is going to introduce the next one. Another Mm -hmm. one that went number one. It's Percy Faith. A theme from a summer place. That's it. That's (laughs) the end of my impression of Lieutenant Castillo. (laughs) Okay. All right. I just thought that was good. Uh, we
1: know that Herb Alpert went number one with an yes. uh, instrumental?
0: Yes, with uh, Rise. Some of these I think they're kind of, because there's uh-huh. a, uh, The Stripper, David Rose, Stranger on the Shore by Mr. Acker Bilk, Calcutta, Lawrence Welk, Wonderland by Night, Burt Keimfert, I probably might be saying that wrong, Frankenstein, the Edgar Winter Group, Love's Theme by Love Unlimited Orchestra, MSOP, The Sound of Philadelphia. Pick Up the Pieces, Average White Band. This one, I think they're cheating. The Hustle, because there were words in that. Do The Hustle, Van McCoy. Do, 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 do. Also There's
1: also words in The Harlem Shake.
0: Yeah, that's true, too. Fly, Robin, Fly. Wait, that, that had words. It was Fly, Robin, Fly. Up, Up to the Sky. They even said that. that was, that's lame. A Fifth of Beethoven by Walter Murphy. That one we might touch from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Star Wars theme. Mm. The disco Star Wars theme is definitely on our list. Not on my list is *Chariots of Fire* by Vangelis. I don't of really. Want to, I don't of really want to. Of course, really that to, one's I There. Want, I don't
1: want to do that. Come on, you don't want to run no. in slow motion.
0: I can barely. Well, if I run, it is in slow motion. So I don't.
1: I don't <laughs> need to actually act that out. And we call that walking.
0: No, oh, that's true. I always thought the Entertainer went number one, but I guess not. Okay, well, this might not be the best list.
1: I would have thought it would have, but I don't know how old it is. Like, what? When did we start? What, what's the the metric on? Well, this on the start this is a this place?
0: is an article from the Albany Herald. I should have just actually looked them all up myself, and I didn't do that. And uh, he's going by the start date of '58 when there when it was the official Billboard Pretty chart. Deep.
1: Sure. I would have thought The Entertainer was older than that. Well, Why I am thought, I thinking like.
0: Well, because the movie 30s, was based maybe on that. Because it was from The Sting. But The Sting was in the early mm. 70s. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I, okay, well, I don't know how we got to The Sting because I, I brought us there because I'm stupid and I do those things. Because nah, we were nah. talking
1: about instrumentals and what went to number one. Yes. But where were you going with that?
0: We're, well I mean it's this was the last last song to do that and I guess if Harlem Shake had the words like you said this is the last true instrumental to go number 1. So kudos to that and kudos to Sean Hammer, who had got a great job out of this for 3 years but did you read how they they let him go on year 4 when this show I just got he completely left lost. On his own. I get you know, I'm not sure he that, that, I was reading that they wanted to go in a different direction, in a darker direction. I think maybe that's – I think they're both right. I think they wanted to go in a different direction and Jan said, nah, this isn't working for me. So it might have been one of those mm, – they're going in one direction be. and it's just like, you know, I, I, I can't do this. And he didn't need artistic to. Artistic differences. Art, well, sorry. Artistic differences. But that video might have been something that he – that had to have been – I was looking at that video – and when you're watching that, was he even actually on screen at the same time with Don Johnson and, uh, Philip Michael Thomas? Or did they I don't just not think so. I think they just,
1: just recycled some Miami Vice footage and, uh, and him in, in some extra scenes.
0: I think you're right. And then watching that, so like, he's running away, I guess he's, he's running away from the cops and, okay, which... If that's your video, that doesn't say much about these two cops if they can't catch this guy. Because if you're looking at Jan Winter, <laughs> how do I put this delicately? First off, male pattern baldness for any man is awful. It's even worse when you have when you have a baby face, like like like, like the circle of a baby. Uh-huh. Not necessarily that he's baby face. He kind of was. He was 37 at the time, so yeah,
1: he,
0: doing the comb comb over. But yeah,
1: he's one of those one of those guys that. It would be really hard pressed to guess his age because he, yeah, he's got a fairly young-looking face, mm-hmm. um, very round face. Um, but then he's got like the halo curly hair. Well, and some of it.
0: I mean, it was kind of yeah. The comb going. He's not. He's
1: just he he doesn't look like he's tall. Let's say, and he's he's got a dad bod. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of. Difficult to, to gauge where
0: he is in terms of age. You could say anywhere from 30 to 50. And I looked at what he looks and like I now. Would say he doesn't look you much are different.
1: absolutely correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely yeah, for sure. But he didn't look like a cool guy. He looked like a cool he looked like one of those guys who just like showed up somewhere. Uh, I-, I can't believe I'm gonna reference this movie, but I watched this with my wife. Just this a horrible movie. Um, made in Manhattan. <laughs> where, where jennifer lopez is playing a maid and you know and she just tries on a bunch yeah, of in manhattan. Clothes. in manhattan yeah it's made in manhattan and she tries on a bunch of clothes from somebody who because hey it just happened to fit he that's what he looks like he did he just went in there and he just tried on some clothes because these are not his clothes these blue and pink pastels are not his they were shiny here but yeah and yeah, so in the video, he's doing that, and then it always really comes back to him with the keyboard, and then he does a, that that guitar solo. And he tries uh-huh. to look at the camera like he's cool, but he's not. He's just – he can't do it, which is fine. He doesn't have to. I don't think I'd have a much – I'd look like – I don't know. I, I, I'd What would I look like? I, I'd try to look like I'm trying to make love to the camera, but people would say it looks like I'm trying to blow a fart instead. You know, it's – I don't, not I'm not saying that's what this guy did, but it was just like it's like okay, I'm going to be on camera. This is like a home movie. I, for someone who scored the most stylish television show of its day, man, he didn't know how to style himself. But I don't. I don't think there's anything he could have done to make himself look uh, look cool without looking like an accountant. He just is one of those guys.
1: Hey. Don't diss accountants.
0: I'm not dissing accountants. You're not an accountant anymore, by the way.
1: <laughs> what? I'm an accountant.
0: Aren't you, head, aren't you, like, a head of controller or something?
1: Yeah, I'm financial controller, but I'm still a CPA. Don't diss my profession, man.
0: I'm dissing, uh, I'm only dissing the males. Oh, I see. Ah. Ah. It's reverse <laughs> sexism. Uh did you notice too like at the end like no oh go ahead no no you go ahead I was gonna say you notice like right at the end too like on his keyboard like and again there was also a gun there that he grabbed on the way out like what Mm mhm you've never fired a gun he does not look like
1: someone who should be handling a gun he looks like that guy you remember that image of the two like the lawyer the rich guy in the states with the black lives matter protests and he and his wife are like Oh, that guy.
0: Yeah, and they couldn't hold the gun right. Protecting their
1: mansion, but his... Like, they didn't actually know how to hold them. He kind of looks like that guy. Maybe
0: he also looks like sort of a a shorter, fatter Billy Corgan.
1: (laughs) With a bit more hair than Billy Corgan. Plus, Billy Corgan was cool, even if he was weird looking.
0: Billy Corgan got really weird, too. But... Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Of course, anyone I think who dated Tila Tequila. That's another story. Oh, yeah. I could just go. Hmm? Well, I was going to say anyone who ever dated Tila Tequila just has to be a little bit off the deep end. Speaking of off the deep end, when you're done with this, uh, YouTube Tila Tequila, only it's her. She now goes by Tornado Theon and she's found God. This is a gift for all of you listening. Oh, yeah, it, it is. She thinks that she's a vessel of God. I, I, I don't know how else to say it uh, yeah she she's really really interesting and she sells her paintings which are all pretty much all God images We're all, China Phillips who we talked about before is looking at her like no no <laughs> when it comes to that. So what was next for, yeah. So where do we finish off with Jan? Jan just kept working and good on him. I I become, for somebody I didn't know that well, I've become a huge fan. And this is why I think I love this series. Just learning more about people who you think of in one way and you realize, oh my God, there's so much more. This guy's a, I, I think we've used the word genius. Maybe we've thrown it out too much, but is it that far off?
1: think so. I think, I mean, we are, yes, we use the word genius a lot, but, but we are talking about, in some cases, some of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. Um, and in some cases we're talking about like weird geniuses that have a very, very specific talent. But, uh, I think that he, he certainly had a niche and, um, was exceedingly good at what he did.
0: Absolutely, and very, very well respected. Uh, still is. Uh, so, Jan Hammer, I'm really glad I got, we got to learn more about you. But I have to ask you this question here. Did you pick this because of a little schoolgirl crush on Don Johnson?
1: No, he was, he's not really my type. I mean, he's a good-looking dude. Mm. Um, but that that weird, scraggly mustache... It isn't really a selling feature.
0: I have to admit, I, I kind of still, I kind of dig the whole three-day, four-day stubble because that's kind of me every day. Because I hate shaving.
1: I don't mind stubble. It's just that it's pretty much only a mustache.
0: On, on the on the and that might be in the in
1: in the first few episodes that I was watching, where he didn't really have the beard stubble, but he did have like a defined mustache trouble. Did you know that they actually put out a razor to create that look? The
0: Miami device. I do know that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they had to change the name because of copyright. They were afraid of being sued.
0: I actually remember that being promoted on, I want to say entertainment tonight. And it was this short geeky looking guy who uh, had the feathered mullet and, was wearing the you know the Don Johnson clothes. It just everyone was trying to sort of get that look. But I had an F Mary kill for you here. Yep. But I, I guess I already know where what, like, what you're going to kill because it was sort of like based on the three past hunks we've talked about. I think I just sounded very Canadian. Talk to boot. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> 19, so Andrew Tesman. We have three men picked out for you. 1985. Don Johnson. 2010, Marky Mark, or 1977, Chris Christofferson?
1: Oh, man. Uh, well, I guess we'll kill Don Johnson and fuck Marky Mark and marry Chris Christofferson, but I don't really know. Like, just because Marky Mark is was, like, a racist bigot and is now kind of a religious freak, and I don't know that I'd have that much in common with him. But I don't really know Chris Christopherson outside of some of his movie roles, so well, I mean, like, that's what I'm
0: going with. Yeah, I, so, well, I think that, I think they have all got, I, well, I guess Marky Mark's got the biggest uh, bank account, I would think. Although maybe Chris Christopherson might that have a whole is, lot of still songwriting credits, too.
1: Yeah, he's, he's got to have a pretty, uh, pretty padded wallet. Jesus,
0: imagine um, this. Don Johnson's probably the, the... And he's the least successful out of those three. And Don Johnson is has had a career renaissance of late, too. He's appeared in a lot of stuff. Has he? I haven't... Yeah,
1: uh, have you really? seen... I yeah. haven't heard anything except that show like a decade or more ago that he was in. No, nah,
0: he he was... Uh, well, he was in uh, Django Unchained. He was... He's in the, a, a show That's that... That's right. What was that? Watchmen. I uh, so he was in that, and he was in a Netflix show, uh, Sick Note. So he, he's never stopped working. You know, it's been up and down. The movie career that he wanted That's
1: didn't true. pan out, but out of those three, so he, but he's again, probably he, getting pretty royalties still off of Miami Vice. Which, I a five six year run.
0: Well, he probably gets probably gets a lot from Nash Bridges too. Oh Nash Bridges, of course. So he's got that going for him. My god, those three people, but all three of those guys we've just talked about have had at least careers spanning 30 years and more. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, yep. like I just gave you the That's best to kill ever. I got to I got to make it harder for next one. I have a comment from a previ- from our previous episode that I wanted to mention. We got kudos from our biggest fan. Might be our only fan. I hope we have more than that. (laughs) And This is regarding how the hell did this go to number one with This Is America, the one that I was afraid to do. Well done, you two. Best discussion and dissection of a song in the series so far. Also, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't have a steampunk podcast system set up. Those are frogs, and they just weren't chirping that night. I told you this. <laughs> Whistling frogs of Barbados. I'm going to take a picture of this and just put... I'll, i i got to send it to you, Andrea. They're not even the size of a dime.
1: Yeah. I, I want to see these tiny, noisy frogs. Yeah,
0: I would never hear them actually. Like I, well, I see them outside, but I don't actually hear them make the noise or see like you don't see them here and make noise. I don't know. Anyway, so I guess we got to figure out what we're going to do next week. I have a few for you. I thought we could either go with somebody who's even more unassuming looking than Jan Hammer from a few years before, but then I thought of maybe possibly doing something else just slightly more recent. But then I changed my mind again. We're going to 1969, and the biggest song of a genre that's not very good, but this song is a guilty pleasure of mine, and it might be of yours, and technically by a band that never existed. Care to take a
1: guess? I have no idea.
0: Oh, sugar, do 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 oh, honey, honey.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, honey, honey. Nice.
0: Yes. The Archies. Is it 69 or 71? I forget. But the biggest song of the bubblegum genre, we're going to look at this. A song again by... They Don't Exist. It's a fascinating song. And I love this song. It's not particularly good, but it's... I I gotta
1: say. It's a hook. It's sing-alongable.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to be looking at the Archies next week.
1: Uh, okay, some bubblegum. Yep. I like it. That'll be fun.
0: Awesome. Well, you stay safe, Andrea. We ask everyone out there to stay safe. This way, I'm doing this here this way so I don't have to like record another thing because I'm kind of lazy when it comes like that. So stay safe, everyone. Andrea and I will be back next week. I will have a lot more shows for us next week because that's what we do here at NotinHallofFame.com. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.